Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lori Clark Show. This episode of my podcast is brought to you with the help of ZoomUs, a video and audio conferencing interface. It's important to know that I'm in no way sponsored by Zoom. I just want to tell you how much I love it. It is very reliable, easy to use, and provides excellent audio and video files that my team and I produce to share the power of story with you. Another non-sponsored, couldn't do without, but just have to tell you how good it is, is Squarespace. When they say it is the all-in-one platform, it really is true. I go into the back end of my website multiple times a day, adjust things, post podcast, add links, and look at our show's analytics, which all sync across my devices. And when I need an image, Squarespace provides an excellent resource that's powered by Unsplash. Now for my most favorite feature, the Squarespace app. Um, Being a working mom, there never seems to be enough time in my day. So when my daughter's in ballet, I sit in my car and upload, post, and manage everything on my website from the app. It's really cool and seamless. Squarespace is really, really simple and very dedicated to helping me create a brand of excellence. So with that, big shout out to Zoom, Squarespace, and Unsplash. Thank you for helping me tell people's stories. With that said, let's move on to the best part about today, the show. Please allow me to welcome my next guest on The Lori Clark Show. My next guest is Timothy Forner. Again, welcome back to the show, Tim. Thank you. It's good to be back. <laughs> well, I'm thrilled to talk about this because, you know, in, in our last interview on um, your book, uh, we talked at length about the process and how Montgomery Schnauzer PI came to be. But in that interview, we talked about the creative process and not only in that interview, but also at our coffee. Um, and you and I seem to connect on that. And the things that you said, the experience that you had really, um, it captured me because I, I know what you're talking about. And that creative process is so it's an emotional roller coaster. Like you go up and down and you never know where you are, at least for me. And I want to talk to you about that because, you know, you've, you've been through the gamut and it, it needs a conversation. So, so I'm so glad that we get to unpack this um, at least a little bit today on the creative flow. As we discussed, I did... I did suffer from writer's block for 20 years and coming out of that, uh, it was, it was interesting. I don't know if anybody, if everybody who experienced that would come out of the other side of that. And, you know, after having given up for 20 years, decide he's going to take another shot at this. Where did you give up? Like when were you creative before your writer's block? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, this, and this isn't uncommon. I don't think, um, I knew I wanted to be a writer from the first time I held a book. It was the strangest thing. It was just obvious that this is so much fun. I want to do this. Um, and, and so I was making up stories when I was a kid all the time, all the time. 
And um, eventually I got to college. I was all excited to take writing 101. Um, so I took my writing course, creative writing, and um, I, learned, I learned nothing. Um, all I learned was I suck at writing and I ought to give up. That's the experience, pretty much exactly. And you you're know, making really it sound I, really good for those people that are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a terrible writer. He couldn't even get through college. Um, I didn't learn the, the thing I needed to learn, the things that I needed to learn to fix that problem. Um, that took twenty years later before I I stumbled on the the solution to that particular problem. Uh, so when I I don't know, I was probably about a year and a half into college. And then I just, I burnt everything that I had written, like literally burnt it, put it in the wood stove and let it on fire, burnt it all of it. There was a small section of things that had survived from my teen years. Um, I was an avid Dungeons and Dragons player and I had all these Dungeons and Dragons stories that I had made up when I was like 13, 14, 15 years old, but they had, they were in a box. I, you know, put all the toys away and gone to, you know, be an adult so I didn't, those, those escaped the burning because I, I had forgotten they even existed. And when I moved into this condo that I'm in right now, and my dad gave me this box of stuff, and here was these old Dungeons and Dragons stories that I had written. And I read them for the first time, basically, because I had forgotten, completely forgotten writing them. What was interesting was, um, yes, they were rough and they were very immature, but inside those stories, there was good ideas. So they were, they were even better than the stuff I was writing and in college. And that was encouraging for me to say, hey, maybe I could do this again. Maybe I could write again. So I took a stab at it. And I started writing again. Well, so, so you wrote the, when you were 13, 14, somehow they escaped the burning. And they were in, they were in storage in my dad's house. So they escaped the burning um, of your your rage and your you know you were probably very disillusioned and you Completely. were you were very I mean it is interesting I think we should camp here for a minute because so many people do what you did yeah it's just that it's like the roadblock you hit it there's a belief that steps in that says, well, the way I'm supposed to do it isn't working. So I'm not going to do it. I must yeah. not be cut out for this. Yeah, obviously I'm not as good as I thought I was. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think that's very common. I think it's very common. Um, I know we're going to get to it later, but for me, it was um, something had changed from being a little kid and writing with that complete innocence and abandon that I didn't care about the quality. It was just so much fun to do it getting to college where everything was graded and rated. And, you know, I didn't realize at the time that I had learned all this behavior that was causing the block. I could not come up with a good original idea and I didn't know why. And it took me many years to figure out that it was learned behavior that was blocking me. And I didn't so much learn how to be creative. I learned how not to be uncreative. If that makes any sense at all, I had to learn how to clear those blocks and go back to being the fun of it, going back to just the pure, doing it for the pure joy of it. Well, and that would, that makes sense to me because when we were talking, you said um, that you, there's a striving that happens sometimes when you start writing and you hold it really, really tightly. Yeah. And it's when you hold it tightly and you keep that framework of, 
this is what everybody says it should look like, or you stay in the box, then it doesn't allow for that flow that you you talked about in our last interview. So that makes complete sense to me. What is interesting to me is that you're just you're bringing up this learned behavior. What what is it? What what did you learn? And then what did you unlearn? Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I learned to censor myself and to give to my educators, I guess, the things that they wanted to hear. Um, and oh. I don't know exactly when it happened because I think it's just a slow build that we do this as we're trying to transition from kids to adults and we're trying to be productive and, you know, there's certain things you want to do um, in, in the real world. And those got in the way. I noticed when I started writing again, because I was like, okay, D&D stories were fun to write. And I, apparently I was good at it. And the new D&D version came out like early 2000s. And I thought, well, here's my chance. I can send into the magazines and, and contests and see where I go with this stuff. And I hit the same walls. The magazines didn't want the stories, the contests. I didn't win any of them. I hit all the same walls again. And, and it caused me to sort of reevaluate what I was doing. Um, and at the time I was also, uh, dealing with depression that was fairly crippling. So the whole thing almost unraveled. Um, and I came upon quite by accident, um, deciding that I didn't care anymore. I wasn't writing to get published in a magazine. I wasn't writing to win a contest. I was going to write just for me, just for me. I was just going to do it for the fun of doing it. And that's when the floodgates opened and it started to come back um, in, in a real and meaningful way. And that's where I learned a lot of the lessons. And our, um, our little schnauzer, Spencer, he had a lot to do with that. So he sort of came along and shocked me out of that depression, uh, showed me that the world was a beautiful and wonderful place. And he had, I'm, I'm inferring based on his behavior, but he seemed to have this attitude when he was playing in the park with other dogs or when he was interacting with people or dogs in, around Vancouver, he didn't seem to care if other, other dogs liked him or not. And the funny thing was his dogs really responded to Spencer as if he was somebody cool. They just thought he was great. And I looked at his behavior and went, well, if he can do it, if he can just act like he doesn't care, why can't I act like I don't care? At least while I'm out at the dog park, at least some of the time, and that was where the uh, that's where the stories really started to come to light, and that was the genesis of Montgomery Schnauzer, because it was his behavior that inspired the story. Wow, that's really cool. Because you know, some people would be like, "Well, he's relating himself to a dog," but at the same, but what you're what the the root of that that similarity, the root of what you're describing is, you say that that. You know, and we know this, if you if you have a pet, if you have an animal, they don't care. They don't have, uh, they have a very undisturbed view of the world. I mean, it's like, you know, they don't hold that unless it's, you know, being repeated and, and it's like an abusive yeah. behavior or something. But generally speaking, um, there's not a care there. And, no. and it seems that, when we can, I know this for myself, when I moved from fear of the unknown 
into, it's not that I don't care. It's more that I'm offering myself, mm-hmm. right? Like, because yeah. a lot of people use that word, like, I don't care. And you use it with that tone. And that's not the tone we're using it. We're using it in a tone of, I care not a, an ounce what people think of me. Yeah. I'm unhit, I'm unfettered. Like I'm allowing my soul and that creative magic to flow through. There's like a, you're not writing for somebody. You're not writing for your audience. You're writing what is coming out of your soul. Yeah. Is that what you would describe as the, I don't care? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, first of all, it's, I think it's important. The lesson came from a simple creature like a dog because that the dog is unfettered by all of these concerns. Totally. So it didn't come from a prof at a university. Um, it had to come from somebody who had no knowledge whatsoever of the material world as humans view it, right? The money, the goals, all of that kind of stuff. Dog doesn't care. Dog doesn't know. Dog doesn't care. So it was important to come from a very simple place. And the I don't care, you're quite right. I mean, it just uh, an I don't care attitude is being defiant and throwing it away right. is the opposite of what we're talking about. That's just throwing away your power. You're saying, I don't care to the universe. You're saying, I don't care to people when you really do care. You're just like, I care so much that I can't care right now. And you put those walls up. Um, what I'm saying is to be um, unattached from the outcome. To be, wow. um, to, so that it's not stealing from the moment of the creation. Because it does, it does come from your soul. It does come from deep inside. That's the inspiration to create art. Nobody creates art because um, it's going to make a lot of money. I know that some of your listeners are going to argue that, well, Disney makes a lot of money. Yeah, Disney didn't start making a lot of money out of his art. He started making cartoons about a mouse, it was the most frivolous thing a man could do. Uh, you know, the fact that it made a lot of money was incidental to the fact that, you know, to how it started. And now they do it, but they employ creative people. They hire creative people. They take somebody else's story and go, that's a really good story. It's resonating with people. Let's take that and put it on the big screen. So they're really good at marketing art. That's different mindset from creating art. Well, would you say that they almost imitate it? Because someone created the story. Someone created sure. the prince and the princess and the whatever and someone made that art and then like what you just described I mean I was just there I just took uh we took all of our kids on Christmas day we went to uh Disney and it was incredible it was magical and Uh, it's a fun place oh and but yet your conversation was in my mind I it like it I'm not lying I was like okay and I had that idea, I'm thinking, why are people still here? Why are people walking through Peter Pan? Why are we waiting in line? Why are we waiting in line for Snow White? And we're waiting in line because the story is good. But you get a lot of time to think and look and observe at what they've made. And you realize, like, you know, he didn't come up with the story. Someone else did. And then yeah. they've capitalized on that. And and so what you're describing is, well, you and I don't, really have that luxury on certain things, but we can start making our own art from a perspective that 
was innocent like Walt Disney, where he's saying, this is a mouse and and I'm going to make it like this, right? Yep. And yep. your your book is this little PI dog who's sniffing around the park, turning over every twig, turning over every leaf, and you engaged with the the life and the the necessity of rising up, necessity of rising up from adversity, being in a uh, a kennel or a shelter, and then being adopted, and that process and the discovery of his life's purpose, mm-hmm. and and it reflects your story, reflects you, and I love that. But one of the things that you mentioned just recently was you said, well, you know, um, dogs are quite simplistic. And I would say they are, but I would also say that the dogs teach us to stand in our power. And so when you're at the dog park and you're thinking, I'm going to be unfettered. I'm going to just let this go. What you're in essence doing and what you're in essence asking our listeners and those that are creative, uh, that are listening, stand in your own power. Mm-hmm. And let go of this box and the idea and grading yourself yep. and begin to rest in the confidence of that little thought that's starting in your mind, that little, you know, that little spark of magic. So by um, trying to please a college prof, by trying to win writing contests, by trying to get published in, in other people's magazines, I was waiting for permission from the world, from people to say, yes, Tim, you can create your art. Me too. And I, nobody can give you permission to create art. No. You just do it because you want to do it. So I really had to give myself permission, give myself permission to play, give myself permission to be frivolous, give myself permission to let go of all of those concerns and just run with the story and see where it takes me. That's essential. I had to give myself permission. You know, yeah. just end up doing what we do. You know, yeah. like like I'm I'm looking at this going, uh, well, number one, I you know, what were the limitations? Like my limitations when I began to do this was fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of okay, I don't like how I look on camera. Right? Like I don't, but it can't be the thing that stops the message and the story from coming out. Because when mm-hmm. I'm 90, am I going to say, oh, I didn't accomplish my dream because I was afraid. I didn't like how I looked in the camera. I, like there's that. And then this, the other one was I was afraid of the judgment of other people. In mm-hmm. my past, I have been subjected to judgment of other people. And of course, I've judged and, you know, but it's been a cycle. And yeah. I was afraid of that their voices when they listen would say, what is she doing? Who does she think she is? <laughs> yeah. Well, what a tragic thing though. Cause the show is wonderful. You do look good on camera and yes, if you're 90 and looking back on your life, you're not going to go, I did a good job. I played it safe the whole time. You know, it's, that's not going to give you any kind of joy, any kind of satisfaction whatsoever. Um, and especially in today's world, if you don't like what's on your screen, it's really easy to just click next and see somebody else. So 
other people's judgments don't even matter. There's but, so many people. But did is that a part of your process? Like that was part of my process, and maybe that part doesn't resonate with you. But what when you are describing, you know, un- releasing and giving yourself permission. That's how I had to give myself permission by saying, I, I can't worry about their judgments anymore. I can't worry about this is burning a hole in my soul. I can't sleep at night because the, these thoughts and thought packages are arriving at three in the morning and I am waking up drinking too much coffee, trying yeah. to get through my day because it won't go away. Writing it down or 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 talking it through makes it go away. And so it was giving myself the permission to say, I don't know what that is, but that's some creative power. And I think I'm going to tap into that. Yeah. Let's, um, let's, let's write that down. Let's, (laughs) let's record that. I do. I would get ideas um, early on in the, in the relearning how to write process. I would get ideas in my head, but I wouldn't write them down. But then because they're, they, they want <laughs> to to come out. I know. I can't stop thinking about it. So the process of writing it down was was parking it someplace where I could come back and look at it later. And then my brain would let go of it and go, okay, it's been recorded. I'm happy with that result. Now we can go to sleep. And I have woken up at three o'clock in the morning and had ideas in my head. Like like recently, um, I keep my notebook with me all the time. Everywhere I am, everywhere I go, I have to bring my notebook with me. In case I, uh, in case I need to write something down. So I've woken up at three o'clock in the morning and, you know, gone out in the other room with the light on and sat down and wrote out the whole idea. Cause if I don't, I can't get back to sleep. I know it was last night for me. I, and the night before I was like, yeah. and I was begging. I was like, please do not wake me up <laughs> again. again. My solution to that is just get up that- and write it down. Yep. Get up and write it down. Best way, that's the best way to, to do something with that energy is to, to honor it, respect it, record it, um, and do something with it. And, and what is it? It's like for those people that are just tormented out there, can, what is it for you? Like what was, is it an energy? Is it what? I don't know. Stephen Pressfield talks about, um, angels on the other side of reality, like tapping at the glass, trying to get our attention. That's the way that he, that's the analogy he uses. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty close. Um, I just sort of, I view my subconscious as a very deep ocean and mm-hmm. things bubble up from the bottom and I need to uh, either, if I suppress them, then they don't come, which is where I think um, Pressfield's analogy really works. Because if you just don't, if you do what I used to do and judge the ideas as they show up, then the ideas stop showing up. So you just said something that was really important there. If I judge the ideas as they show up, okay, creative flow is letting whatever is happening to happen. Yeah. It's yeah. not, it's not judging it as it's going on paper. Yeah. Yeah, the judgment of other people was a fear that really held me back. But my own self-judgment was the most damaging thing of all because those ideas were always there. They were there from before I learned how to write. Um, by judging them negatively, I shut them down. I stopped them. 
that flow from working, like going around, turning off all the taps to make sure that nothing gets through. That's what I had done. And that self-judgment was the most damaging of all. So I couldn't even make up stories to entertain myself anymore. And that was, it's pretty sad when I put it that way. That's a pretty sad thing. Yeah. Learning to let go of those judgments was the key to making the ideas flow again. How did you learn to do that? Like, would you offer some solutions or just even your own process in that? Like, how did you do that? Uh, It's difficult to describe because I was going through depression at the same time that I was resolving these things. So there was a whole pile of things that happened at the same time. Um, I would, I would read artists um, who have gone this same trial and come out the other side, like Stephen Pressfield's war of art, Stephen King's on writing um, a 30, $30 writing school. If you could still get that book, that was fantastic. Um, I read The Snoopy's Guide to Writing Life. Absolutely no writing advice in the book whatsoever. It's just essays from writers that talk about the writing life. It was, it was life-changing for me, that book. And I still have it on my shelf. It's, it's, it's magnificent. It's magnificent. What's the title Earl's, again? Uh, Snoopy's Guide to the Writing Life. Okay. So Charles Schultz's son um, took on this project as a... Uh, 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 to honor his dad. And he contacted all these writers and said, would you write an essay? I'm putting together a book. And of course, like big name writers came out. Stephen King's got an essay in the book. Came out in support of um, probably the most beloved cartoonist in, you know, in, in the world, in the history of the world. The guy's like huge. Everybody loves the peanuts. Yes. And then so he produced this book. And, um, you know, I'm reading the book and the book literally brought me to tears. It's just reading it and going, um, I read the opening chapter and I, cried and it's like okay well, i have to buy it obviously it's got this it's it moves me emotionally i have to buy it there was a lot of exploration for me of saying i'm going to go down this road and see where it goes and if i get blocked i'm going to go around i'm going to find another road i'm going to try something else and one of the things that i just did um and i don't even know where i got it was i just if i had an idea i wrote it down i just started doing that that is the best place to start um training yourself to limit your judgments is something that's going to take practice. I imagine. I also think it's probably a little bit different for everybody else because how we build these blocks, um, it's a very common story, but how we individually put them together, sometimes not the same way because we're all a little bit different. Uh, Learning to clear the blocks was a process of initially I didn't get very many ideas. So one book like this would last me a whole year. Now a book like this will last me three months. Um, And that, I, I still flow a lot of the ideas into the computer. There's something about writing things down for me with a pen and paper that makes them stick. Whereas when I write them down on the computer, they often don't stick as well. So I usually use the computer after I've recorded the idea and then I want to massage it and turn it into something. But so the, the volume of the ideas started to, the less I judged, the more ideas I got. That was just a process that I worked through that. And then I just made that a rule. Ideas are not allowed to be judged. And I have a great example of how this works. Um, I write screenplays with a friend, and he also has a similar history of always wanting to be a writer. So that's why we get along so well. So we're writing this screenplay, and he's coming up. We're coming up with ideas. We're pitching them to each other, and he comes up with this this joke. <laughs> it was it was a comment, and he goes, "This is terrible. I shouldn't even say it." And I said, "Well, well what is it?" So then he said it, and I went, "Oh my god, that is." <laughs> That is awful. 
we cannot use that. And it's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We need to honor the idea. We need to write it down. So I wrote it down in our little notepad. It's like, okay, they were keeping track of the ideas. A little later in the process, we had this character show up that we needed. Who's um, misogynistic, narcissistic, um, control freak, complete human garbage, this guy. And I said to Chris, I go, you know that joke? (laughs) He would say it. He's the kind of guy who wouldn't have that filter and he would say it. So we ended up using it in the screenplay. And then because the guy's so miserable, the next time, the next scene we see him, he gets murdered horribly. And it's like a delicious combination to the story because here's a scumbag who creates a scenario that ends up getting him killed. He was, it was just, it was poetic justice. So judging that idea, even though it was terrible, terrible, I would not repeat the joke out of context because it's just awful. But it it wasn't the kind that makes you laugh. It's the kind that makes you groan. It's the kind that makes you hate that character even more. And as writers, we need to do that, right? We need to um, show you a character that's despicable. You know, we just, we create villains as as easily as we create um, heroes. And so that, that process made sure that idea got recorded and we got to do it the way that it came out. Judging those ideas, not only does it shut them down, but then I don't have, I don't have villainous material to pull on when I need it. Well, and you said like, um, in, in our last conversation, you said it's like they're demons, like the thoughts that bounce around and haunt you are like demons where they just, until they just torment you until the thought is written down. And it seems to make sense. It, like, I know that makes sense for me because I, that's my process as well. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, to speak to what you said there, there is this fabulous um, series on TV that is now not, uh, it's just showing reruns called Seinfeld. And yeah. it's a show about nothing. <laughs> and I'll bet you, you know, Larry David, he's like writing it down going, this is a show about nothing. And nothing. we can't talk about that right now. Right? Like, yeah. like when you, when you see the genesis of these incredible shows that come out, that's it. Yeah, they usually have very simple beginnings. Very Somebody simple. had an idea and just decided to pull on that thread and see what happened to it. Well, and, and that I think is really important too, where, where it's a simple idea and you pull on the thread and you don't know. And sometimes it takes a while to unwind and that's the process because you don't, if you're starting out as a creative and you have the vision, you, the role is not to force anything. Yeah. The, the, the lesson is zero force just accepting it because the, the gift is within the process and what unfolds as you just put it out there. Yeah. It's so powerful. Yeah. No, it's absolute zero force. You said it really well. That's, that's the the trick to make it happen, to, to let it happen, to allow it to happen. It's you can't force it. You can't. And, and um, you also talk about, though, let's talk about the fire hose. Because, like, writing it down is fine, but sometimes it's almost 
overwhelming or you feel overwhelmed. So there are people out there that have the, the, the notebooks like you do and like I do. And, and, but they look at them with a feeling of now, what do I do now? I've got yeah, it. Yeah. Now I've got to set the table or now I have 10 stacks. What am I going to do with these things? And so where is the moment where the, it's like that kind of shifts and you go, okay, okay, okay. I'm, I got to do this now. Yeah. Um, well, I would never want to turn the fire hose off. So when it gets overwhelming, I just kind of roll with it. Yeah. Uh, particularly the, the creative process when it gets overwhelming, I just kind of roll with it. And like any writer, I just don't, I don't feel like I have enough time to write everything down. I just don't, I never will. Yeah. I have a stack of notebooks now. If I never have another original idea for the rest of my life, I'll still be able to write stories out of those notebooks. <laughs> and I know the ideas aren't going to stop. And that's fine. That's fine. Um, don't fight it. Uh, it just, just love it. Be thankful for it and, and just keep rolling on. At some point, you do want to, if, if you want to create a work, um, as I did, like a finished book, or any kind of creative work, there is a point at which then you need to get serious about, I'm going to record it, I'm going to um, massage it, I'm going to turn it into something that I can show somebody else. But you even said, though, that you almost halted on the publishing. So even though this Montgomery Schnauzer was a really great book for you, and it released and opened, and it was the beginning of the breakthrough from your depression and from the writer's block Mm -hmm. um it says you said I almost sat on the book yeah I almost halted on the publishing and just kept a lid on this particular one and it took a great while to get over the fear and say okay I'll let go I will let the world read it Mm -hmm. it was difficult that uh, we did talk about this before so I don't want to repeat myself it was um you know, other projects I have done in writing and in, in my tech career, you do have to sort of turn it over to somebody else and subject yourself to a certain amount of reaction. What, I don't want to say the word judgment because one of my worst fears was that nobody would react to it at all. You'd just ignore it. That would be, that, that would hurt me worse than, well, I read your book and it really sucked. And like, well. You know. or, or they just go, I read your book. Uh, oh no (laughs) this particular work so near and dear to my heart it was really tough to let it go and I just felt like um you know it was my baby and I really felt like I could stand the rejection by this point I could handle it I've had enough rejection I think it's it's fine I didn't want anybody to to hurt Monty as Mm. as weird as that sounds but I just got really attached to the character to the story to you know, I loved it so much that it would hurt me if somebody else hurt that that character, that work of art. It sort of started to take on a life of its own. And so I was afraid. I was just afraid to let it go. I have a similar story where I started 13 years ago. And, and I would wake up in the middle of the night and I'd hear these, like I'd literally hear uh someone talking to me. And it started freaking me out. I was like, I, I, said, to, I said to Dave, uh, like, I think maybe I'm hearing voices and he'd say just, well, you're not crazy. So let's just see. And I began to, I asked this one, one time in the night, it was 
it just was calling my name. And I was like, okay, what? What do you want? (laughs) And I drifted off into a sleep and had a dream. Yeah. Immediately. It was like, oh, bam. I'm tapped. Like, I didn't realize that Steve Pressfield had said that. But I didn't know he was talking about the angels tapping on the glass. But this is my story. And he, this angel, I just literally, like, I went to sleep immediately. And I had this dream. I was in a tube. It was in a tunnel. And there were all these people that were in line. And they were cheering. Go, go. And I was in this tunnel. And I was like, what the heck? And this being said, in order to get through this tunnel, you've heard the voice. You heard an answer. Are you willing to make your life experiences the freedom for other people? And I was like, yeah. Okay. Woke up the next morning, that morning. And I went, okay, so here's the problem. I have a learning disability. (laughs) I am not the traditional learner. How is this going to unfold? And I've got a lot of experience right now. So this should come really easily. (laughs) Big mistake. (laughs) So I began to wake up for one year. I woke up every day, every, every morning at three o'clock in the morning, being shaken awake by this, whatever, this creative muse saying, write it out. My writing was like hot vomit on pavement. It was just like, because it is not my talent. And um, I would give it to people. I would give it to people that were really close to me. And their reaction would be like, Mm. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and I'd be like, oh, and I took it personally for a really long time. Yeah. I took it personally as it was me. It was, that was because it was so, because it came through me, it was hard to let it go. Now, um, I'm, I don't worry about it anymore. Now I've, I've, I've been rejected. I've rejected my own self. You know, it's, it's one thing to be rejected by others, but it's another thing to reject yourself. Right. (laughs) I was just like, uh, I reject myself. So I think that's as far down in the pit as I can go, you know, self rejecting. They just, it's, it's like the runner staying at the starter block. I'm not going to win the race. Why don't I even try? Like, <laughs> why, why are you out there then? Why are you standing in the starter block if you're going to reject yourself? It's just crazy. But the, I like that analogy. I, I, I want to commend you because you did it absolutely right. Um, thanks for the hot vomit on paper. That was a visual. <laughs> I didn't need, but really get it out. Get it doesn't out. matter how it shows up on paper. Get it out. It will never, ever be perfect on the first try. And uh, Stephen King, the most published American author, he tells you he rewrites like crazy. That that's that's part of the process. If you don't if you don't go through the hot vomit stage, then you don't get to the really delicious turn of phrase. Here's one sentence that. Well, then know. here's the thing. This is I think the point for me is that I thought I was going to write because mm-hmm. that's how it came out. I'm not a writer, and it's clear I'm not writing right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's clear that I yep. am a talker. And so what happened was, but my process and the way that, that this was supposed to, I was, I think resistance was testing my metal. Resistance isn't the enemy for me. 
for me, it was saying, if you cannot begin to exercise and build muscle under the weight of resistance, how are you going to make and carry this vision that you are put here to carry and give to the world? And so for me, it was more about, um, I wrote and wrote and wrote until it hurt so much to write. It was so time consuming that I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to talk it out. (laughs) (laughs) And then I started talking it out and I was like, oh, I actually think this is what it meant. Yeah. You found your stride. Found your stride. Right. And And your medium. It's just a medium. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not to be, you know, it, I think that some people might think, oh, so what, what Tim is saying is that, you know, you write your stuff out and, and then, and then that's what you do. You just write. And that's not what you're saying. You're saying that's the method of getting the ideas and, and connecting to that dimension, that other world that is actually tapping on the glass, putting you in the tunnel and saying, are you willing to do this? And then let the process take you where you need to go. Yeah. Yeah. Ride with it. Ride with it. Yeah, totally. The energy that we create with, though, is what comes out with the art. Yeah, it's, it's funny. You can tell as a reader uh, or a viewer or a listener, whatever the medium is, you can tell if it's forced. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't resonate. It doesn't feel real. If it's, uh, if it's allowed to flow and the experience is allowed to flow on paper, it does, it feels like it could really happen. Even some of the most ridiculous and outlandish stories that are so based in fantasy, there's like absolutely no reality to something like say Harry Potter. And yet people resonated with that so deeply. It was very energetically, it was just very pure. Just the, the flow of it all, the, the, the feelings, the human emotions, everything that made that story work was sort of baked in right from the very beginning, um, as opposed to something that's just totally forced. Uh, I, I can't think of an example because if they're totally forced, I, I forget about them. I know there's a, a glut of Hollywood movies. They spent $100 million making a terrible movie. Um, you can probably find plenty of examples of them. If it's forced, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel interesting or exciting. It does, it's not engaging. It needs to have that element of sort of, you know, what it feels like to be a, uh, an unfettered soul, you know, coiled up in this mortal body. I, I think that's what it needs. All art needs that. I think for Harry Potter uh, and, and JK, when she was writing that series, um, like you said, it was so pure. But I watched a, a documentary on her and she never let go of the process. Yeah. And 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 it's like the lesson in that is the power of leaning into it. You leaned in to the process and allowed writer's block and and the mix of depression to carry you and teach you. Yeah. I think that's that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, there was definitely a learning moment. And I you know I I went all in on the book. I just poured my heart and soul into it. I yeah. I let it consume me. It was weird. It was like having a two-year fever and you're waking up from it going, oh, what happened here? <laughs> what happened while I was asleep? Um, and, and one thing I did read, and it stuck with me when I was reading the um, Stephen Pressfield's book, he said, 
Most of us have two lives. It's the life we live and the unlived life within us. And that's the story of the creative. And you talk about this. And this is one thing that when we were meeting in the rain, I was, I, I had written it down. I was, it told, again, it transformed me. And I, I did say it in the last interview, but I want to talk about it more. You told me the secret and I was like, yes, that's freed me because I was always battling with those two lives. The dreamer, the administrator, the mechanic. You talk about these, you bring these up because it's like you, when you're in that mode, that's all you hear is just the creative ideas. Mm-hmm. You have to stop that sometimes and say, today I'm the editor. Yeah. Today yeah. I'm the mechanic. I got to work through the grammar. Today I have to research. Yeah, there's to get from I have this great idea to um, I have a finished work. You actually do at some point need to break my own rules. I needed to have judgments about the work. Um, if you're going to form a sentence that makes sense, if you're going to form it into paragraphs, if you're going to break it down and present it in bite sized chunks to your reader, you need to actually break that rule and, and have those judgments. So I had this paradox of how I was going to do that. And I did, I totally just ripped off the, uh, that old cliche, the use of business all the time is I wear a lot of hats. So I would, I decided that I would allow myself time and freedom to be creative. And there are periods where the, where the ideas just don't come. There are periods where the, um, where the writer's block would have taken over before. And then I look at it and go, well, there's probably something mechanical I can work on. There's probably a paragraph that's clunky. I can edit it. I can I can work it. Um, you know, paginations. I even had to go through when the, when the book was finished. It's like, well, I have one line on a page by itself. I can't do that. So I either need to, um, you know, I got to work with my book designer and say, look, this chapter has to change because we either have to end it one line early, or I need to add another half paragraph or so so that it doesn't just add a single line on a page. Right. So you got to do all these things, and there's all this opportunity to do all these things. And so I just try to get myself into that mindset of if I'm doing this job, I'm going to wear that particular hat. I'm going to be the mechanic. And so I did separate myself into like two separate personalities and say, the dreamer comes up with the ideas. He lives without judgment, lives without censorship, you know, is willing to put up with all the flaws to get it out. And then the mechanic is the one who picks it up and goes, all right, I'm going to do something with this now and, and puts the pieces together. So it was the dreamer that came up with the terrible joke and it was the mechanic that went, this joke will work if we put it here. Um, that's the two separate personalities at work. Um, that was the way I, I, that was the only way I found that I could uh, rectify those two roles and, and make it work because otherwise I was going back to judgment and censorship and, and writer's block. So there was, there's two people at work and when I'm doing one job, I, do that job without regard to what the other side of me might think about it. And so when I'm dreaming, I allow myself to dream when I'm a mechanic, I don't worry about the dreams and, and whatever. And I certainly don't, I'll get to points where the mechanic goes, well, I need something here. I need a bridge to carry from this scene to this scene. I don't have it. I'm not going to work on it as the mechanic. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to take a long walk. I'm going to do something that could put me back into that mindful state and allow myself to daydream. And then I don't have to fight for that bridge it'll just come it'll just come and that is the difference between 
doing this as a profession. Yeah. And and just, you know, um, playing around. Yeah. Right? There's nothing wrong with playing around. No. Make that very clear because the, without the playing around, nothing will happen. But I agree. Yeah, on the next level, you need another... It's uh, a, another skill set. Absolutely. Apply. It's like, it's like uh, grabbing another gear, right? Yeah. yeah. But with that comes a lot of resistance. It did initially. Yeah. And when, what did that look like for you? Um, it was just a lot of um, incomplete projects, a, a, a lot of uh, getting stuck in certain places and not knowing where to go next. Um, so I did sort of jump from project to project. I, I worked on, um, I worked on a, like a fantasy adventure story and I got like uh, three quarters of the way through the, the plot process and it just kind of like bogged down. And I always thought, well, I'm going to go back to that one day and I'm going to finish it. I don't know if I will. I might, I might not. It's remains to be seen. It depends on, on you know, what's caught my attention at current point in time. Um, I did need to um, learn to let those two personalities get along in mm. my head to say, okay, I, I can be a dreamer and a mechanic at the same time. I just need to, I need, need to learn how to juggle that and balance that. Uh, for me, what really, really helped was anything that would produce mindfulness. So, uh, you know, a big trick that I use, a lot of writers I know use this, um, just go for a long walk. Exercise really helps clear your head, did engage your body and clear your head. Um, that really helped. It's like when I'm stuck, I'll just go for a long walk. And uh, the dog is a great benefit there because he kind of gave me that answer by accident because he always needed to go for a walk. And what dog doesn't love a good long walk? So it was kind of like, all right, well, I'm not getting anywhere. I guess I'll take the dog for a walk. I can take the dog for a walk. And then ideas come. And that's, that's where Sarah came from uh, in the book. She came from, from a dog walk. I knew I needed a human character. This really early on in the process, I needed a human character to to be a uh, to be in Monty's life because dogs get adopted by people, so you can't really be a dog. I guess I could write a story like that, but this wasn't that story. So I needed a human character, and I had been trying to force this human character. I tried different things. I'm going to try this. 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 Nothing was coming, and then you know I went out for a dog walk. I was out for about an hour, and like Sarah just stepped into my subconscious fully formed her name, her physical description, her personality, everything's just was just there. It was just there. Um, I think that the two lessons there is one, try it anyway. If you've got something that's not working, try it anyway. And if you find it's not working and you've got another idea, try that, try that. I, I will literally write in my notebook when I'm having trouble and I'll be like, okay, how does such and such happen? And then I'll write, try in all caps, a do this. B, do this. And I'll just write down all the possibilities I can think of. I won't use any of them. Most of the time, I won't use any of them. But something about that is triggering the subconscious to produce the ideas. And I guess Sarah must have percolated under the surface for a few weeks before she finally decided I'm ready to show herself. And then my subconscious goes, here, here's the character you want. And when I saw her, she was perfect. She was absolutely perfect for the story I was trying to tell. It was like, this is the human that Monty has to meet. It happened like that. The second lesson is that mindfulness is to let go of the material concerns and be mindful. A lot of people meditate. I had a really eye-opening experience meditating. I was in a, 
a workshop with a bunch of people and somebody was having trouble and the whole class decided to meditate for this person. So I was, okay, I'll play along. I'm meditating. So I'm meditating for this person on her behalf. And then, oh, if I didn't have a fight scene just show up in my head of, you know, Monty and the burglar, just like, right. It was like, that was missing from the story. I actually thought the story was finished. And then I, in this meditation, this fight scene showed up and I was like, yeah, oh my God, that's good. Oh, that's good. You know, so it's like, as soon as it was over, I was writing things down. I was like, I need to take a break from the class. It was like a 10 minute break. I went away and I wrote everything down. And then I came back. Okay, I'm ready. That was just too good. And it went practically unchanged into the finished product. So the, the final fight scene, I don't want to spoil anything. Um, that, was a, that was a meditation inspiration. So the mindfulness need to connect with that. Connect with the source, whatever it is that gave us our life energy in the first place, whatever it is that's, that's the engine that's driving the subconscious, let it do its thing. Get out of your own way. Be mindful of what comes to you. That's how I start every show for 10, 15 minutes. I just sit in silence because it's, it, it is, it is a respect for yeah. the reason why I'm here. Yeah. And I, I just, I love what you just said. That's and amazing. That's amazing. Humans have, I've read about this numerous times. We have a really hard time living in the present. Yeah. We are so weird that way. We worry about the past. We can't change it. We worry about the future. It hasn't happened yet. And we forget to live in the present. And it's the only point that you have any power is in the present. Um, and mindfulness teaches you that. I didn't see that as a cure for writer's block or something that was going to help me in any way. It was something I stumbled on accidentally, reading these things, trying these things and going, wow, yeah, that really works. <laughs> it really works. Well, it's trying. Like it's yeah. not, you know, creative flow doesn't just, it's not like the box, right? It doesn't flow into the box. It flows all around and upside down and it's very windy and, and, and crazy, right? Yep. It's an adventure. And, yes, yeah. and every, for me, every interview is an adventure. I never know what I'm going to get. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and there are times where, you know, I can't adjust. Like for me, it's about knowing, you know, someone might start out in, and in the green room and it be a really a, a good potential for an interview. But then when we get there, I've had to say no a few times. I've had to actually stop someone and say, I'm sorry, this is not working. It's not working. And there's an honoring of the process. And it's, it, it, it's when you're writing and you're a writer or a musician, you can just sort of push that to a side. When you're talking to someone face to face, it's a whole different story. Yeah, I mean, you're, it's hard. It's a test of what? gave birth in my soul and the message of my soul that is coming out and holding space and, 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 and believes that this story is so important. There isn't a story that I don't believe matters. The only time that it, it interferes is if someone is just locking down and shutting off and not wanting to talk about it. Oh yeah. Right. Well, that's going to be a problem for your show because if they're not wanting to talk, how are you doing an audio podcast? You know, right. What are you bringing to me if you're not talking to right. me? Right. Like you were great there. Now you, yeah. you're not. And maybe we give it another chance. 
But, but, but it goes back to that soul purpose or that where the creative comes and it's the message of the soul. Art is this, you said it's a soul's voice. Absolutely. Yeah. You're speaking with the voice of your soul. It's beautiful. I don't don't know any other way to put it. It's beautiful to me. And it deserves a pause because you and I respect it so much. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's, I still say it's, it's, it's why we create art in the first place. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you, don't, you don't need a painting on your wall. It's not doing anything for you, really. But if it makes you feel a certain emotion or connect with the part of you that is, is not of the material world, but however you believe it works or there's, there's a part of you that just is not concerned with material things and it wants to dream. It wants to be free. It is free. And we can honor that through our art. We sure can. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel very satisfied with this conversation. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad I'm not one of those bad guests. <laughs> You're not. You're so articulate. And, Climb up guests. And I've been waiting for someone to talk about, you know, the awakening and how you have to be ruthless with yourself and how, you know, resistance is, is sort of that thing that lives. Um, but it doesn't have to be the thing that kills us. It, it can be the thing that brings us, it cracks us open. I would say that the depression and your writer's block was the portal that cracked you open so that you could open your heart it, it opened so that the light could come in and you could then um, be unfettered. Without yeah. that experience, it sounds and seems like it wouldn't have come out this way. And, and for me, the same. I, was, I felt broken open. And the only way through that moment and that many, I think it was a decade in my life, was the simple act of going, I'm not even going to bend down and try to pick up the brokenness. I'm just going to be what's here. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lesson I definitely had to learn. And that process brought me to where I am today. So I am grateful that it happened as as painful as it was. And those pieces that break, yeah, it it wasn't working. Picking them up and, and putting them back together, you're putting that false armor back on, wasn't going to protect you anymore than it ever had. It was, it was over. It's in the past. It's, it's done. And that I needed to learn that lesson. It was, it was odd that that was something that I couldn't learn earlier in my life. And I've, I'll probably never figure out why. But I'm grateful that I did find the way to learn it. And it's stuck now. It's really stuck. So I can't not make up stories. They just, they just come. They just come out. Yeah. Well, any encouragement before we, we wrap this up? Uh, well, I would say to your listeners, wherever you are and whatever it is you want to do, don't stop trying. Don't give up. I love, uh, you know, when we watched the Tragically Hip have their final concert and I was just thinking about that band and how it came about, how they used to play at like one third capacity in crappy little clubs in Kingston. And they would just go out and play. 
do it anyway is some of the best music we've ever heard on my opinion, obviously, but it wouldn't have happened if they just said, you know, we're playing to a bunch of alcoholics in a, in a tiny little club and we're not even getting paid. What, what's the point, man? Don't play that way. Play with, I'm here. I'm playing all out. I'm happy to be here because you'll find what you're looking for. And it doesn't matter if other people find it or don't find it. They'll find it eventually. They'll eventually catch up to you and find it. So your voice matters. Let it come out. Be yourself. Spend some time in that dreamer state. Figure out what you want to do and then do it. Of course. (laughs) That's, I'm just going to drop the mic there. (laughs) (laughs) Give yourself permission. Give yourself permission. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for giving yourself permission. Thank you for doing that because, you, because you gave yourself permission and little did you know that you and I would meet through our mutual friend. It was very serendipitous. Right. And yeah. I, I saw a guy the other day and I was like, guy, that, and he immediately asked and we were talking all about it. And, and again, that like opportunity is in places where when you are open, you never know. Yeah, it's there. The help will be there. The help will be there. You just have to be open for it. That's right. Where, as we end and wrap up, where can people find you? Well, montgomeryschnauzer.com. Yes. That's the best place to find. There's links from there to the social media. uh, At Montgomery Schnauzer on Instagram. At Montgomery Schnauzer on Facebook. Of course, the book is available on Amazon. Search for Montgomery Schnauzer. Uh, you search for Montgomery Schnauzer on Google and I'm all of the first page. So, And of course, if people want to talk to you um, and engage with you about creative flow, they can. Um, Absolutely. DM you on Instagram or, or Facebook or whatever and reach yep, out. Or send a private message through um, Monty's website or my website, timothyforner.com. Um, I don't get as much press as Monty does and that's fine. Um, he's kind of the hero. I'm just, I'm the... Uh, what, I, I'm his manager, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, I'm glad. There's, there's, on both websites, there's uh, a message box. You can you can type in a message and it'll come to my email. Yep. And you can find me at laurieclark.ca. And um, that's where all of my stuff is. And, of course, all our links as well. Instagram, we're on Twitter now. Um, and um, we're moving towards a YouTube channel. So it will all sort of come out as we continue. And that's my message is number one, don't apologize for starting out. Yeah. Right. Right. Don't say, well, we're such a young show that we're just going to see. We only have one episode on our YouTube channel. So don't go there yet. (laughs) Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Be in confidence because You were um, a recipient of the gift and the insight of that creative muse that lives in the ethers of some dimension. And it travels around and goes, you, you, you. And it's everyone. Everyone has something. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a gift to offer. And everyone can hear. It's that idea that everyone has had an idea in their life. That's what we're talking about. So... This has been a great show. Thank you for taking your time. 
And of course, it's just wonderful. So I'm so uh, full of gratitude. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome. Have a good day. You too.